Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to The Brief, a short, sharp snapshot of a big policy challenge. I'm Edwina Landale. The Philippines has earned itself a high international profile over the last few years, or rather its president has, and the spotlight does not cast a flattering light. President Rodrigo Duterte was elected in 2016, and under his leadership, the rule of law in the country is fast eroding. He is perhaps best known for his war on drugs, which has claimed thousands of lives in extrajudicial killings, and his presidency has been studded with regular horrific news headlines across the globe. To list a few of his greatest headline hits, Rodrigo Duterte orders soldiers to shoot female rebels, quote, in the vagina. Duterte calls God, quote, stupid, and Philippines president likens himself to Hitler. Duterte is seen by many as a Trump-like leader. He seems to flirt with authoritarianism, is prone to making incredibly inappropriate public remarks, and he wields his Twitter account like a weapon. A populist leader through and through, President Duterte's approval ratings in the Philippines have remained astoundingly high since his election and are only just now starting to turn. But beneath this public veneer of impulsive thoughtlessness, Duterte has relentlessly undermined any state institution that could challenge his power. His war on drugs doubles as an intimidation campaign. He has eliminated various critics through imprisonment and threats. He has suspended officials for attempting to investigate him. His approach to China-Philippines relations has weakened the nation's sovereign power, and his attitude towards women has earned him a reputation for misogyny. It is easy to get caught up in the loud noises and punchy headlines of Duterte's leadership, but his attack against state institutions and the rule of law is far more insidious. Joining us today is Marites Vitug, editor-at-large of the social news network Rappler. Marites is one of the Philippines' most accomplished journalists, winning awards and public recognition for her reporting. A best-selling author, she has written several books on Philippine current affairs. She was a visiting research scholar at the National Graduate Institute for Policy Studies in Tokyo and Kyoto University and a Neiman Fellow at Harvard University. Marites is visiting the ANU to launch her new book, Rock Solid, How the Philippines Won Its Maritime Case Against China. Thank you so much for coming in today. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's really my pleasure. Marites, as one of the Philippines' most seasoned journalists, you have firsthand experience of the tension between political power and press freedom in the country under a number of different governments. What is it like to be a journalist under Duterte? Under Duterte, this is the first time we're experiencing a kind of 
harassment and threats we have not experienced since the dictatorship of Ferdinand Marcos, which ended in early 1986. But unlike Marcos, who shut down news organizations, shut down TV, imprisoned some journalists, Duterte is not doing that. He's going after owners by having state agencies file tax evasion cases. It's squeezing the media through different techniques. Tax evasion case, uh, cyber libel cases, like in the case of Rappler, uh, publicly threatening owners and reporters. And in the case, again, of Rappler, my news organization, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission said that we were foreign-owned, which is not true. Anyway, Rappler won the case on appeal, and there's just one more step to go before, I think, uh, we finally end this chapter. So there is intimidation, there are threats, but these are all done through uh, using different government agencies. You mentioned your libel case, and I believe you've actually fought two in the past. More, more than... More than two. <laughs> the Philippines Supreme Court has been labeled by the opposition as a puppet for Duterte. Can you touch upon some of the critical weaknesses of the country's highest court? Yeah, the Supreme Court uh, in, in the Philippines, it's a very personalistic culture. So the president appoints all the Supreme Court justices, 15 of them. Under Duterte, he will appoint 12. When he steps down in 2022, he would have appointed 12 of the justices just by some quirk or some accident of history that justices are obliged to retire when they reach 70. He has appointed, I think, four, and two of them were appointed at the age of 68. So he gets to reappoint again other justices. In this kind of setting, the justices are showing loyalty to the appointing power. So they tend to vote in favor of the executive department or the president. For example, the late dictator's remains were questioned because the authority said he should be buried in the hero's cemetery. And of course, there was objection and there was a case filed with the Supreme Court. But in the end, majority of the justices said, yes, Ferdinand Marcos can be buried in the hero's cemetery. So in their vote, they favor who is in power. There was also a case of a justice being expelled from her role. It was the first female High Court justice in the Philippines, I believe. Yes, yes. Could you explain what that means for the rule of law, that justices are being expelled for holding different opinions? Actually, the Chief Justice, Maria Lourdes Sereno, was ousted just this year, a few months ago. And the Supreme Court, the Philippine Constitution says that Supreme Court justices can only be taken out through impeachment. But uh, Duterte apparently wanted a shortcut because this chief justice criticized his war on drugs. So they found a way. The Attorney General of the Philippines, we call him Solicitor General, filed a case in the Supreme Court questioning her qualifications that she supposedly did not submit her asset statement, which is required. So because uh, most of the justices didn't like her and also were again leaning towards Duterte, they ousted her in an unprecedented uh, case in the Philippines first time. It's just unfortunate that Maria Lourdes Sereno, while uh, has, she has no integrity issues, uh, did, did not turn out to be a real effective leader. So th they sort of ganged up on her. And in what other ways are we seeing the rule of law eroded in the Philippines? Yes, uh, Duterte, I think, makes his own rules. <laughs> no, I'm saying this because first, when he declared his centerpiece program, the war on drugs, he supported all the 
policemen who said, I mean, applauded them for the killings. And uh, we do not have records yet of how many cases have been filed against alleged drug users or suspected drug traffickers. What we have are data of killings, uh, 4,000 plus in legitimate police operations, meaning conducted by the police, and I think thousands of extrajudicial killings. So he has set the tone for impunity because after the war on drugs, he told the policemen, go after these loiterers. In our language, we call them tambay, you know, shirtless men, half naked, or wearing undershirts, drinking in in makeshift you know, stores in poor neighborhoods. So they have, in Metro Manila alone, they already have accosted 70,000-plus loiterers, but not all were arrested. They were just fined or warned. So this kind of atmosphere, you know, has led to what I call a tidal wave of impunity. It's not just drug users, it's loiterers. But why do these people loiter? Because they have small homes, they go out for to air themselves maybe, go for a drink, and uh, huddle among themselves. So that, that really scares us. Even if I'm part of the middle class, I live in a gated community, but uh, how about the poor people who live in, in, in these uh, urban communities? So despite this impunity that you're describing, and despite his tendency towards authoritarianism, Duterte has remained popular throughout his leadership. So what do you think explains his popularity amongst so many Filipinos? Duterte is seen as decisive, and he has charisma. He's the first official you will see on video, on cameras, going to the site of a place where a bomb has been blasted, sympathizing with soldiers in their hospital beds, going to a community where uh, raised maybe by fire, he's the first to be there. He has this strong empathy for people because that's, I think, strengthened by his experience as mayor of Davao City for two decades. So he has this common touch. And he tells, he's a good raconteur. He can tell you stories. He's charming. But what's disturbing is that in a recent survey of Pew Research Center, an international survey of 38 countries, it showed that 50% of Filipinos favor uh, strongman rule or autocratic rule. Uh, maybe my, my thinking is that I think Filipinos are so frustrated with the slow justice system, or, uh, they don't or don't have access to justice, that they like a president who takes the law into his hands, especially the middle class who feel safe. Uh, ironically, I mean, the surveys show that Duterte is popular with the middle class, upper middle class, and of course in Mindanao, his base, but his support among the poor is declining. So we're seeing... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Being a president who appeals to a, a wide range of uh, 
people. But it is normal in the Philippines for presidents to undergo two-year honeymoon periods. So it wasn't extraordinary for Duterte to enjoy high ratings uh, for two years. So you mentioned that the justice system is slow in the Philippines. Why exactly is the justice system slow? I think, first, the bureaucracy is slowing it down. There are thousands, for example, in the Supreme Court alone, there are thousands of cases filed every year, and that's 15 justices deciding on these thousands of cases. So it takes years, uh, 10 years to decide a case. That's the same situation in the lower courts. So I think there should be more skilled uh, prosecutors so that the cases filed have uh, better quality of evidence, and the judges should not keep postponing cases. There's a lot of things, and also there should be a more transparent monitoring of cases. We don't have that. We cannot just go to a court and go online and check, where's my case now? You know, it's been filed like five years ago. Where is it now? We don't have that. So if we have more transparent monitoring, more skilled prosecutors, better management of cases, then I think uh, it will speed up. And there have been efforts already to address this. Marites, you're now launching a book about the Philippines' maritime dispute case with China. What inspired you to write this book? Yes, actually in 2016, when the Philippines won against China, my friends were saying, you should write this book. You know, it's a landmark international public law case because I had written books on the Philippine Supreme Court. And I said, but what do I know about these rocks and reefs in South China Sea? I mean, why should I care about them? And anyway, I started to read up and I found out that for the first time in contemporary Philippine history, our government declassified communications, records, everything on Philippine-China relations since 1995. And I found this all very exciting, like, you know, a journalist lives to uncover secrets. <laughs> so when I read, started to read through this, I said, this is a story, and there's a human element. And so I decided I'd uh, do the book, so I took a leave, uh, one-year leave from Rappler to work on this book. Something that you wrote actually stuck with me quite a lot, which was the fact that the Philippines has more coastline than Australia. And that absolutely astounds me because we are an island continent. So it's definitely a heavily maritime nation. And there should be more focus on this, which is a point that you've made. And in actual fact, opinion polls do show that Duterte's soft approach to the maritime dispute victory is being rejected by a majority of Filipinos. And his approach to maritime law is affecting his popularity, particularly in urban centers. So far, he has stuck by his approach and has highlighted the need for strong ties with Beijing. But do you think that he's going to change his tack in light of falling popularity? Duterte always says he doesn't care about ratings, but I think eventually he will. Uh, What surprised me was a few days before I left for Canberra, um, Duterte said, for the first time, criticized China. He said they should not claim airspace and they shouldn't claim that uh, these reefs which are in the Philippine exclusive economic zone are theirs. That struck me. But what I think we need to watch out for is what he will do, because he needs to match his words with actions. Will the Philippines now use the the victory in the international tribunal as leverage in dealing with China? Because Duterte has set this aside. In fact, in the two years 
of dealing with China, according to our foreign secretary. They only brought it up twice. So what we want to see now is action. And, but it's very difficult for him, I think, to change because he already has said that he loves China and China will going to deliver us from poverty. He's looking toward investments, tourism, trade, and that he thinks will be uh, help the Philippines rather grow its economy further. One of the other interesting sort of facets of the maritime law dispute is the fact that it ties in to his war on drugs. There is a lot of shabu, which is the Filipino word for crystal methamphetamine, that comes from the sea, particularly from China. So do you think that Duterte is going to have to acknowledge that fact at some point in his war on drugs, or can he continue to ignore that? That's really very interesting. That has been uh, written about in the Philippine press that, and even acknowledged by the Philippine National Police that China, mainland China, is the biggest source of meth, of shabu in the Philippines. Yet, they are not apprehend. They are not. They need to patrol our coastlines more than ever for this uh, transport of methamphetamine. But that's not the focus of Duterte's war on drugs. He has said that how can we go after them? They're in China, so we go after the users here in the Philippines. In fact, in the Supreme Court, there are pending cases uh, filed by human rights lawyers questioning the drug war. Whether it uh, that it is not constitutional, and in an oral argument, this is very interesting. One of the justices asked the lawyer for the government, said, "Why are you, aren't you going after China, or maybe guarding our coastlines and maybe tightening customs?" And he said, "Oh, that's quite difficult because uh, they're so far away from us, China, and it's better to go after the users and the local suspected traffickers." So that's I don't think that will change. Uh, that's the mindset. Of the president. So we've talked a lot about problems facing the Philippines. I'd like to now turn towards what you see as solutions. So how can we begin to address eroding rule of law in the Philippines? Well, that's a difficult question <laughs> because among civil society groups in the Philippines, the opposition political party, which has diminished, you know, in the Philippines, whoever is in power, uh, politicians defect to the party in power. So that has a, a really uh, been a a major point of discussion. And what's happening now is just people just have to speak up or write about it. And But there are continuing programs to strengthen, uh, like prosecutors in the Justice Department, to, to train prosecutors in the Ombudsman's office, who, I mean, investigators in the Ombudsman's office, which who go after corrupt government officials. So I think What's happening now is really just speaking up, uh, continue training, uplifting skills, and making people realize that uh, the rule of law is an anchor of a democratic country. We may be a young democracy, quite immature, uh, sometimes chaotic, uh, lot of, lots of party switching. Unlike here, I, you don't have party switching, but you just change leaders occasionally. <laughs> The rule of law has still to be embedded in our consciousness. And there have been efforts to include this in the curriculum starting from the elementary grades. But these are all, these are long-term solutions. But as of the moment, it's really just speaking up. But I forgot to mention that 
uh, groups already have gone to the International Criminal Court to file information or complaints against the uh, human rights situation in the Philippines. So that's one way maybe to check to check uh, unbridled power in the Philippines. Has the Philippines not left the ICC? Well, the president has unilaterally said we are out the Philippines is out of the ICC, but as as the rules of the ICC go, the initial probe will still continue because it happened. The complaints came in while Duterte was president. And now their senators, minority senators, have gone to the Supreme Court questioning the unilateral withdrawal, saying that Senate should have a two-thirds vote to agree with this withdrawal. So we're waiting for that decision on that case. And are you optimistic about the Philippines' future, or do you think that the country is facing dark days ahead? Well, we have four more years of President Duterte, so I don't see really any change happening Uh, We just have to continue what we're doing, even as journalists, to continue reporting accurately, but holding our officials accountable, and as well for civil society, and as well for for politicians who uh, dare to question the government. So that's former years of status quo, I think. That's all we have time for today, unfortunately. But that was a really interesting look at the various elements of rule of law in the Philippines and how journalism can help to sort of highlight some of the issues that are at hand. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. It's been really great having you. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to share my ideas. Don't forget that we always appreciate any feedback on this podcast or any of our other podcasts. You can contact us on Twitter. We're Apps Policy Forum. Facebook, the Asia-Pacific Policy Society, or shoot us an email, podcast at policyforum.net. I'll be back next week with another episode of The Brief. But in the meantime, don't forget to tune in to our usual Policy Forum pod on Friday. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.